Gaming NBS episode 233, recorded Monday, March 11th, 2019. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. This is Sean. And this is Brett. Hey, folks. Glad you're here. How you doing, man? Doing great, Brett. How are you? <clears throat> oh, I am should have taken today off, but I'm bizarrely glad I went back to the office directly after Game, game Hole. Good Lord. Thinking next con uh, after Gary Con, uh, simply so I could get back on top of some things. A few hundred emails in a hole, but I dug out of most of it. So I haven't even checked my personal email. And I'm, I think I'm supposed to meet a client tomorrow morning, and I don't know where. <laughs> you should look. I know. Well, if you respond to your personal emails the same way you uh, respond to texts I send you, you, you will respond to them about two, three days after the fact. Yeah, messaging has got me down. Too much. Too much, man. Too many. Too many. Too many bad. Yeah. <laughs> more good, I should say. Too many too more too many bad things. I need more more good things. Yeah. So speaking of good things, how did uh how did Gary Country? Yeah, I mean we were there good together. Things. Obviously we weren't we weren't there like hand in hand. We had plenty of opportunities Skipping to do along. lots of stuff. What did what were your highlights, man? Oh, I got a hand. It's Corey Welch, Forrest Gary, Trevor, Jen. Uh, I know I'm missing some other folks, but the, the, all the individuals involved with running, um, Gatsby in the Great Race, Call of Cthulhu, multi-table, 30-person uh, event. I think it was maybe, I don't know if it was that many this time around, but there was at least, I think there was at least four or five tables at six people per table for sure. And uh, it was a very good event. I was I was so impacted by that event. Yes, that I bought the Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, I did That's on awesome. Sunday. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, and I told Corey that I would make as much effort as I possibly could to ensure that all his tables are always filled for that event uh, because it was done really well. And uh, if you do not, if you get the opportunity to play in that event, I highly suggest that you do so. It's, it, I, I don't know how others run it, but I know if Corey's behind the wheel, he does it at Gary Con and Gamehole Con. I don't know if he does it at others, but, and I offered to run. Really? I said, I would, I would run a table. Wow. Yeah. Cause that's it's my, cool. I've come to learn that I think that's more my game. I like the role playing. Are, are you serious? Trevor, well, see, I grew up never understanding why people liked Call of Cthulhu. I never got into it, never interested me, and never read any. Well, you and I have talked about that a little bit. We're like, eh, eh, eh. So this is yeah. like a, a big reveal for you. That's kind of cool. I like, well, it was a good event because, I mean, the premise is Gatsby is mm -hmm. having a party, and you go there to party. And there's on the back of your character sheet a couple notes on the relationships of the people that you're there. And I happened to have a character that was, I only had one relationship and that was to my fiance who was there and she was new Gatsby and Gatsby's cousin. And then things got crazy. And then all the other people were just, I may know that other guy and then stuff got crazy. Yeah. But you like the role playing part of it more I, so than the search for traps type of thing. I did, yeah. And I, I've always kind of wanted to do that. I find that when I I have been involved with Cthulhu games, even if the players are not thespians, like, and I define that as, you know, full-fledged immersion, speaking in different voices, stuff well, like that. Well, when I ran Trail for you guys, yeah, you know, that it wasn't like a huge thespian group. I mean... Wayne Humphrey and Kevin and James, they, they weren't like huge, oh my God, you know, speaking yeah. in voices type of thing. It didn't, right. it wasn't that way. Yeah. So I find it though, that there is more role playing. Well, good. And especially if you are at a party, like the Gatsby's hold, you, you have to interact. And the thing was, is that Trevor was a real, really good, and my understanding from Dave Wynn, who is also in my game, um, and put me up with him, with him and his brother and Brett. He he said that Trevor, he said that Trevor that was Trevor's first con game he ever ran. Wow, that's and a I, hell of a way to to break into that. Yeah, and so um, pretty intense. 
Yeah, and he did a super awesome game. He's kind of, and Dave's like, you know who he sounds like? He sounds like Norm MacDonald. And I'm like, that's it. That's where I couldn't, like, I'm like, where do I hear that voice before? So he's got kind of a Norm MacDonald voice. It was hilarious. I'm like, yes, nailed it, Dave. Um, but a really nice guy. And he, you know, he, he always tried to stay in character. Like, even if you said, Hey, uh, player GM, um, do I see this? Or, Hey, can I move this? Or I draw a line here. And he's like, he just kind of tried to play it off, like without answering. He's like, okay, so you draw a line. Great. But every time he would always answer like in character, most of the times. Nice. Yeah. So it was fun. I I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed myself, and it was a the quickest six hour game I've ever been in. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It went by super fast. Um, so now I'm yeah, man. I I thought it was good. Well, that's good. Kevin, yeah, Kevin will be happy to hear you like it. Yeah, did he played in it, didn't he? <clears throat> or did he? I don't know if he's played in it, but Kevin's been a Cthulhu fan forever. Right. I like to feel that maybe I wet your appetite for it with my trail game, but you may have. Completely forgotten that by now. No, no, that's true. Um, and that was very good, Brad. Don't get me wrong. No, no, but. no. It's and that, it's two different things, right? Yes. That is the mine was more of a usual hey, hey, <clears throat> this is Cthulhu type of thing, and yours was a big con extravaganza type yes. experience. So yeah, cool, it, very nice. Yeah, it was quite a bit different, but um, yeah, it was good. It was good, and I I probably will delve into that a little bit. We'll see. Well, good. Congrats to you, man. Yeah, but otherwise, uh, 5e game and Alex Cammer's 5e game. And then uh, I had to miss Thursday. My wife got sick, so I had to show up a day late. Uh, Missing Gaslands, which I was really wanting to play, which was pretty prevalent. Uh, I had talked to a few people that had played, got an opportunity to play there. So it wasn't There was at least one or two off-grid Gaslands games going on, dude. I was asked, hey, where's Sean? Yeah, Hobbs, Hobbs came up to me and goes, Can Sean, Sean wants to play. I said, now he's got a Gatsby thing going. Yeah, and it was right during the Gatsby race uh, game. And um, so, yeah, Gaslands, if you don't know what that is, is um, modern-day car wars, in my opinion. You play with matchbox cars, you hack them all up, and then you, you could do races or just do combat. But it's all templates and gear speed and, you know, checks you don't skid out. But uh, everybody I talked to that played it loved it. And then um, the other one I had to miss was Forrest Aguirre's DCC game, which Bruce Cunnington was in, and I couldn't – I think he was in that, and I couldn't make that one. So that, Yeah, Bruce was in that one, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> that was the uh, – yeah, that was, that, was, that was my event extravaganza while I was there. There was a lot of just uh, – Sean and I are going to probably – we're going to say names, and we're going to miss a bunch of you yeah. that we ran into. Yeah. Um, because there was just a ton of really cool people there. I didn't. I didn't wear my chest camera. Like that's the best way to do it. Like that just a chest the, camera that takes pictures every five seconds. And I got just look. I got halfway into Friday and went. You know what? I should have just taken selfies with everybody I met. That probably would have been hmm. a good way to check. Uh, but I forgot. Anyway, so uh, Bruce Cunnington came back from the UK. He was here last year, so seeing him again was really cool. Got to just talk gaming with him and so forth. Bruce's birthday. Um, was this weekend, and Dave Beatty and the crew, the DCC folks, pulled together, got a birthday cake for him. We got most of the bar to sing happy birthday to Bruce. That was kind of fun. That was yep. It was cool to be part of that when I was there. I ran um, Blacksmith's Folly, which is one of my Avalon adventures. It's going to be a, as a stretch goal as part of the Kickstarter, and I wanted to bang out a couple components of it as I started to write it out. I'm like, I wonder if this will work. Uh, and Ray Otis had said, hey, last year he had played an Avalon game, with AJ, he actually played um, Iron Shoes, and he said, "Hey, if I'm if AJ's going to be there, I'd like to do it again." Well, Susan, my wonderful wife, brought both my kids, and uh, both of them, AJ and Alana, sat down and played with uh, Ray and his buddy Cody. Uh, it was really really cool. Cody's a good all around guy too, and uh, we went uh, we went through that adventure. And that was a lot of fun. My little ten year old daughter, at one point, when she found out that the main bad person, this uh, this lady, had swallowed the key that they needed to get out. Ilana's first thought was, well, I guess we're going to have to kill her and gut her. <laughs> wow. And I, I looked, and Ray Ray looks at me. God bless me. He goes, apple tree, apple <laughs> tree. <laughs> oh, that was my 10-year-old daughter's first thought. Anyway, nice. um, another cool thing I got to do was uh, Studio 66, uh, Cosmo Joe and, the, and those folks. He's been working for a number of years now on a 
a actual like dungeon feeling dungeon crawl um live action type of thing it's a it, i would say it's a cross between a larp and um true dungeon it mm. is entertaining he had a very small taste of it he was able to bring and set up at the con and i got a chance to go through that with my two kids and it was fun it was exciting and it was a good time so props to Cosmo and that crew cuz they uh they pulled it off it was a lot of fun so I'm hoping that I can get to his actual the big event, or if he can set up something even bigger and cooler at GameholeCon this next year, that'd be pretty cool too. His fiance was very pleasant to me. Oh yes, uh, Gary Con, very nice to see her again. I did give her crap. I said, "Yo, you busted John's balls pretty hard last time." She goes, "Yeah, I did, but that's because I like you guys." Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. said, "All right." Mm-hmm. Um, kind of loud. I got, I bought stuff. Uh, Dave Beatty had gotten in on the Wraith. Uh, 20th anniversary Kickstarter and had an extra copy. So I bought one of those off of him, which I've yet to unpull from the shrink. I've just been looking at it lovingly. I did buy Borrow Maze on, and I got Mr. Gillespie to sign it for me because he happened to be there, of course. Uh, on Hobbs's recommendation, I was looking for a mega dungeon that wasn't too mega e. Rapinathok is just so massive. I was really tempted. But I'm like, you know, Borrow Maze, I started parsing through it. I did crack that sucker open, started reading it, and I'm very, very pleased with it. And, of course, I gave uh, Jeff Delanian from uh, Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers of Hyperborea some more of my money. Bought a copy of the Player's Guide, T-shirt again, some other goodness. But it was fun. And then get to take my kids around on Saturday and introduce them to people and have them buy stuff. Because <laughs> they love to do that. It was AJ's birthday. So his birthday, excuse me, is in April. So Susan and I were able to snag a bunch of stuff. And uh, put it aside for him. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Other than that, I think all around, uh, Gary, Gary Khan had its usual, what the fuck are they doing organizationally speaking? But it's just become part of its charm. Oh, I did. I met Joe Manganiello like about that long. Bought a death save t-shirt off the guy. He's a tall dude. I'm 6'3", and his shoulders are like up on my ears. He's a tall man. And then he almost ran me over when he had to pee. I was sitting in the hallway talking to uh, Kojo. And he comes busting by and almost stomped on me. It was funny as hell. He kind of gave me a sorry as he went by. <laughs> and then he quickly darted into the bathroom. So I'm like, oh, he must have to pee really bad, which I just thought was funny. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant. I'm going to turn on the rant switch quick. All right. I'm going to mute this. Go ahead. <clears throat> it'll I'll, be re- I'll, prob- I'll probably run a vacuum and clean my room. That's go. fine. It'll be relatively brief. But one game con organizers. If you're going to have guests at a game con and they're not going to be accessible to the people that are attending, please do not make them guess. Just let them come to your con, invite them to your con, and just that's it. Like Matt Mercer was at Gary Con. Right. Matt Mercer was there. Nobody knew he was going to be there. He wasn't. <clears throat> oh, pardon me. He was not on the guest list. Correct. So great. He's just a guy. Yep. That's all I'm saying. Gamehole Con, and I know other. there's probably a few others that kind of make it a thing, or they don't make it a thing, but it's just something that the guests do, maybe because of that con, or it's an unwritten rule. But I think if you're going to have guests to lure people to your event... It only makes sense to make it a policy, especially if you're paying for them to come to your con, that they should be accessible. And how you define that is really up to your con. So if it's running a game or they're behind a table or they're going to sign autographs, their pictures or their books or whatever it is, great. It could be one of those or all of them. But if you're just going to put them on the list and then they're going to hold themselves up in a room the entire weekend and they're, you're going to see them pass from their hotel room to a conference room. Or to an event which is behind closed doors you don't have access to. To an event that is behind closed doors that you are not privy to attend. Correct. As, a, spe- as a spectator or a player. Correct. Don't put them on the guest list. Okay? That's all I'm asking. No, I, I, I fully support that, man. <laughs> I've had oh. um, Evercon is obviously much much smaller than both of these cons, thousand people. It's not it's not huge, but when we had Ken Hyde up, I had uh, I talked to Ken. He's like, "What do you want me to do?" They ask this stuff. Ken has asked me, um, 
uh, when Dave McGarry comes down uh, and when Alex is up, he's like, what do you need me to do? I need you to run some games. Sounds good, says Alex. I'll do that. Hey, Dave said, I'll run Dungeon, you know, whatever. But every everyone we've had has always asked, what can I do? Because they, they that's what they're there for. Now, those people are in the the gaming industry and not necessarily the entertainment, I should say the gaming hobby industry, not necessarily in the entertainment industry like a Joe or somebody else who's making a fuck ton more money than you or I are, Sean. But yeah, I agree with you. It's it's disappointing when you're like, oh, so-and-so famous individual is here. Have you seen that famous individual? Nope. I can bump into somebody who happened to get lucky enough that they saw said individual, but that's about it. Or I happen to catch this person between X, Y, and Z. It is rather... It's kind of frustrating. You feel like as a con attendee that you're missing out or that you you didn't know or that, oh, should I have is, – is there an event? Is there something I could have gone to to kind of hang out or do something? So, yeah, I get, I get where you're going, man. It is – it's kind of a bummer. Now, to be fair, there were plenty of guests at GaryCon that I know that were accessible and that do run games. I can look at the list. Or if they didn't run a game, they were in the dealer hall as a dealer. You could just go up and talk to him. I know Stephen Chanel is always there. He's very approachable. Larry Elmore, hell, I, he and I and a couple other guys, we talked Dragonlance and art for an hour and a half in the bar because <laughs> he's just there. And if he's there and you get Larry talking, you can't stop Larry from talking. Yeah, anyway. and I don't think he was a guest. No, he got a Lifetime Achievement Award, but he's just a famous artist yes. who's there at his booth. Jeff Easley yeah. at his booth. Yeah, he wasn't know. even on the list. Like, yeah. on, if I'm looking at the website right now, he wasn't even on there. But there are some that are on there that I know, you know, that, I mean, I I will be also fair to say that I haven't looked up every guest to see if they ran a game. But I'm pretty certain, I know Joe didn't, and he's a guest. I know that for a fact. Correct. Um, but Joe is nice enough. Like, Brett got his picture with him. Um, friendly dude. I mean, when you, yeah. it, he was in the room, talk to him and say, Hey, cool. Get a, can I get a picture? Yeah, of course, man. Come on over here. You know, he was just, Hey, how's it going? What are you playing? Sounds good. Blah, blah, blah. It's just, um, yeah, I think, I think some of it is it's, <clears throat> and I do not know Luke Agax and rest of the board and the other people. So I'm not going to, this is not them, but I think it is very easy when you have somebody really cool coming to your convention to make it all about you as a convention organizer or your very specific friends or whatever it is so that there's a very small, small subset of people that have this amazing access and everybody else who's paid for the convention don't get it. Like it's very, it's probably very, very tempting. And I think uh, as a con organizer, you need to not do that. But anyway, shall we? You good? I am good. All right. Awesomedice.com. We're still doing the, uh, 15% 15% off on any order of $10 or more using the gaming BS code at checkout. Yes. Am I correct? Awesome. Very, very cool. Yes. So sign up for our e- 3CR email. Be entered to do that and win a free set of dice. Yeah. Very cool. I don't think I have any other announcements. Sean, you got anything? I to? do not. I do not. No. Okay. So again, last, last piece is that... Um, Sean, I try not to name tons and tons of names because I know we're going to miss somebody, but I was stopped by three different people who very quickly caught me in the hall walking from one place to another said, you're Brett from Gaming BS. Yes, I listen to your show and I love it. Shook my hand. And I said, thank you, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. They showed me their badge. I saw who they were. And um, I did not write everything down. I should have taken pictures. I should have done a better job of that. But Sean, I both greatly appreciate every one of you. Uh, who take the time to stop us. And when you see us at a convention, shake our hand or even just say hi and um, tell us that you listen to us. It's just, it's really, really cool and very humbling and amazing. So thank you all very much for doing that and taking the time out of your incredibly busy con that you paid for to hang out just to talk to two schmucks like us. That's pretty cool. All right. Now I have to eat crow. Yeah. Cause Joe did have an event. Did he? He did have an event called D and D with Joe Mag- uh, Man- oh, nice. Manganiello. Oh, Manganiello. Good. Yeah, yeah. He had it on Friday at ten a.m. for four hours, and there was one, two, three, four, or six people. Was that the dra- Oh, he had a Dragonlance game. He's a big Dragonlance fan. Yeah, he is. Uh, so he 
just to see how he runs his game from behind the DM screen. Pre-gens provided. Yep, he had, an, he had an event. So I stand corrected. I stand corrected. I was wrong. And it was, I think, yeah, featured event, and that was it. So 40 people on the waiting list. So that was, I think he ran, he might, I can't tell if, if there was more in but so there you go. I, st- I my fault, my bad. Regardless, should be a good policy because I know there's some cons that don't do that. Oh yeah, there's plenty of conventions where people are allowed to go hide in their hotel and pop out for their event and then quickly zip away. So, so I made a mistake. There you go. You, it's recorded forever in history. There, Sean made a mistake. You'll edit that out. I'll edit that out later. <laughs> All right, let's move on to random encounter. All right. Random encounter, if you're new here, is where we field emails, voicemails, and comments from social media. So let's see who's up here first. Matt V comments on, do GMs make good players? I asked, uh, as asked, here's clarification on zones and range bands the way I understand them. So range bands are a measure of how far everyone is from each other. It's usually something like engaged, short, medium, long, and extreme. Games that use this I can think of are FFG Star Wars and 13th Age. Cypher system seems almost like a cross between range bands and zones. It sounds simple, but it's, it seems to get excessively complicated in my opinion, unless there's something I'm missing. Like even this simple example. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have two rangers and two orcs. They are at extreme range from each other. And engaged range with each and engage range with each other. One ranger moves at forty five degrees while the other moves up in a straight line. Each orc moves at forty five degree angles to the opposite sides. Now the orcs are short from each other, as are the rangers, but note they are still different distances but both short. Even though they are different distances from each other, and now one ranger is medium range from one orc and long from the other, while the other is long range from one and still extreme range from the other. In one turn of movement, it's already gotten quite convoluted with just four characters, at least for me. It's very difficult to follow. I know some people love range bands, but I don't see how you track that over the course of a combat. By this point, it's hard for me to see how a battle map isn't faster and easier. Zones break the battlefield well, uh, battlefield into well zones where the characters stand. I've seen a few variations, um, but... Uh, but overall, the GM just sets where these are somewhat arbitrarily. Apocalypse World, I don't think it extends to a power by the Apocalypse system, however. And Fate both use zones. Each zone is ranged incrementally. Um, so an adjacent zone is short, two zones away can be medium, etc. Everyone is on the same zone is generally considered engaged. Usually there is a method to move between zones or more than one zone each round. It's straightforward and doesn't require the precision of a battle map and drops the problems that... Oh... What the hell does that acronym stand for? TOTM. I don't know. Often causes. Oh, wait. Uh, no idea. Sorry, I'm losing the acronym there. Anyway, it does have some issues for some players. You know, why can't I just stand on the edge of the zone and attack into that zone? Sometimes other issues I see uh, are zones won't be precise, so very tactical players may not like them. Since it's arbitrary, zone A may be too big, zone B too small. I don't think this will be an issue excuse me, for too many players, it's part of fiction. But Savage Worlds and Pathfinder players who haven't ventured out may have issues with it. But it's quick to draw out and place mini zones can be done real easy. Um, And just a quick draw on a sheet of paper or even without it if you want. A simple example is a warehouse that can be front to back, can be front, back stairs going up in the top level. You could attach an aspect or condition to a zone, whether a spell or natural conditions and, and Tangled, dark, difficult terrain, etc. If a player wanted to cultivate stuff like dump barrels of oil and or light them on fire, you just aspect that zone. It helps a lot with creative players where maybe in a game like D&D it's difficult to figure out what exactly that affects and where. And why would an enemy run through the oil anyway to get on a grid? Um, <clears throat> why would run through the enemy on a grid? Uh, it's also more of a burden to avoid and possibly possible with zones it doesn't get complicated in the way that a battle map or range zones can get zones and range bands also help a lot if fight and other excuse me if flight and other vertical forms of movement get used which are extremely difficult to track via battle map precision as a caveat i have pretty limited experience with both of these methods i use them roughly a half dozen times each so there could be a lot i'm missing with either method nearly all my 23 years 
Um, <laughs> God, I'm old now. Have been Battle Map. Uh, that said, I still find myself. Theater of the Mind. Ah, T-O-T-M, Theater of the Mind. Good Lord, got it now. Battle Map or Theater of the Mind. That said, I still find myself very enamored with zones, and they seem to be a great blend of all the methods. All right, thanks again, guys. Good stuff. Happy BSing. I think a lot of times when it comes to this type of thing, Sean, it, it's practice. You've got to do it. you got to do it. I've said this about um, uh, Savage Worlds and other systems that I at first try. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I like it. You know, It's always worth giving something. If you do it once and you didn't like it, you should try it again because some of these things just take practice. If you like aspects of it, um, aspects of a game system, but you're having trouble with the zones or the ranges or theater of the mind or whatever, just keep Keep trying it. Give it a good college try. Give it a few. Give it a few goes and see how it works for you. So, anyway, thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate you writing back in. Sean, over to you, sir. Uh, Peter Skeens has a topic suggestion. This is something that had bothered me for a while with Five E is inspiration. I don't think it did what the designers intended and isn't played anywhere like they thought it would. This made me think meta currencies have become a staple in our hobby. Some work, some don't, but an overview might make a good episode. Interesting. So metacurrency is not like that, but I, that makes me think of um, Benny's and mm. that type of thing too. It's it's a currency in the game that you need to keep flowing. At least in Savage Worlds, you need that Benny currency moving. Yeah, and that's like with destiny points or... Metacurrencies, Mr. Skeins, you brilliant, brilliant person. All right, cool. All right, in the hopper. Now we have some voicemails from Chris Shorb, no stranger to the show. Um, he has, he has a, yes, we'll just play him here. All right, here we go. Hey, Brett and Sean, Chris Shorb here, calling from the uh, sunny climbs of Santa Barbara, California. The uh, recent episode, uh, I'm just responding to Monger's question about, uh, so there's a recent episode you guys had about do GMs make a good player? And uh, in your uh, random encounter, Monger sending an email asking about uh, Gumshoe, something I've been curious about. Uh, would love to hear if either of you guys have played Ash and the Stars. That's the setting, Gumshoe setting that appeals to me the most. Um, but uh, the follow-up was that topic about best games to best uh, games to start with to learn a new system. And I would be really interested to hear about Fate, uh, what you guys think is the best, if you guys have any experience with that. Um Powered by the Apocalypse is another one. Um, and then, uh, yeah, those are the kind of the two big ones. I mean, I started Powered by the Apocalypse with Dungeon World, so I'm wondering if you guys have a different experience. And then um, one more point I wanted to make about intro games. I am getting ready to run the Lost Minds at Fandelver. That's the adventure that comes in the D&D 5th Edition starter box set. And I just finished my read-through last night. It is an excellent module and an excellent uh Excellent adventure to introduce players to 5e, uh, which is good because I'm playing a game with a bunch of people who haven't played 5e, and so I'm looking forward to running them through it. There's a bunch of RP, there's a bunch of kind of a little bit of hex crawly stuff, and then there's, of course, uh, multiple dungeons. And, and in fact, uh, and no, I'm not going to give a spoiler, but I will say it's a great, it's a great starting adventure on that episode about do GMs make great players? And, uh, I finally finished the main topic, uh, listening to it, and great episode, as always. And uh, right at the end, you kind of touched on the GMs and the rules. And I just wanted to call out one of the people I play with. His name is Dustin, and uh, he's a player in our group. And our GM actually started, uh, restarted GMing with 4th edition. And so sometimes he, we're playing 5e, but sometimes he uh, kind of leans on the 4th edition rulings. And so, but Dustin, who has GMed a lot more than our GM, uh, because he's got a weekly group, but our group's kind of more like a monthly group. And so, but Dustin, he just sits back. And when they do have a conversation about the rules, Dustin states his case. And then, he, you know, but then if uh, our GM is like, no, nope, this is the way I'm ruling it, Dustin says, you know what, cool, that's no problem. And he gets right back into playing. So um, that's the kind of grace that uh, I would expect of any GM who's uh, playing at someone else's table. So I uh, just wanted to share that story. As always, keep it up, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye. So some game suggestions and uh, lost mine of Fandalver and calling calling a shot by GM. Apart from the uh, apart from the name Fandalver, I've 
heard nothing bad about that campaign or that 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 module or whatever you want to call it. I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, it's a good starter module. Yeah, it's. I would say it's a staple that has come of a five E for sure. AJ used it in a small campaign for uh, Ilana and I. Just a, a very tiny version of it. I gave him some pointers how to kind of tighten things up and not make it too crazy. We had a couple of characters apiece and. No, it was fun. It was a heck of a good time. And he had plenty of different things to work with and, and so on. I think the um what what Chris was mentioning about the the game master type approach, that's how I always talk about my buddy Alpha. He's like the world's best rules lawyer, the type you like, who's really good at the rules, understands things, has a point of view, states point. Okay, cool, you're gonna go a different direction. Fair enough. Let's move. Let's we're not gonna just sit here and Fuck about trying to figure out which particular rule we're going to you know, argue over for the next half hour. Get it done and move it on. Sean, any thought from you on anything Chris said? No. No? Okay. No. But it's those are the fate was always has always been on the radar. We tried to trying to coordinate with Chris from or um, Phil from Misdirected Mark to see if he'd want to come on and talk about fate. But schedules are difficult to align. Um, have you have you ever played Fate? I only played Fate Accelerated. Fate Accelerated is the extent of my Fate experience, and it was and one it, time at Gary Con, and I think it was Hans Cummings that ran it. And Accelerated and regular Fate, um, quite a bit of difference. Very different from what I've been told. Anywho, cool. We'll have to. Those are one of those pieces, much like Dungeon Crow Classics, when we had Jen Brinkman on the show um, back then. That was just awesome. Yeah. You know, the Dungeon Crawl Classics might be, you know, one of the things people have mentioned to us before we talked about this, and this is definitely another topic idea, Sean, is pick a game and what it takes to get into said game, right? People will say, oh, what? I, <clears throat> there was a game that a uh, guy pitched me, hey, Gary Khan, he was talking about it, and uh, quick aside here, folks, and he went through this thing, and I went, wow, this sounds kind of interesting. He had some problems with his pitch, but I just went, whatever, he's, you know, he's a volunteer, he's doing his best. Um, and I looked at the game and went, I think I'm going to be a hundred dollars in here in order to get this game started between a core rule book plus this, plus this, plus this to really get into it. Oh my God, a hundred dollars. And I walked away and I thought about it for the next couple of days. I'm like, you know, I probably could get away with less, but based on how I was pitched the game, I'm like, man, I really, I feel like if I did do with less, I would be losing out on probably the game experience. So I think. That's one of those cases where I know the name of the game. I'm going to talk to somebody I know. Uh, Austin um, has uh, your friend of mine, Sean. Austin has has this game. Or ask him what he likes about it from just the core rules. What can you do with it? Is it enough? And blah blah blah. So I think sometimes talking to people who understand a game and uh, what it takes to get into it is more helpful than sometimes the <laughs> the game developer or even their uh, their their lackey trying to pitch you the thing you know, at a con. So anyway, just another idea. Well, you know, and that brings up, that does trigger something that I ran into at Gary con when we were talking about, I was talking to Tim Deshane. Tim is a guy out of Rhode Island. Um, he runs a lot of dungeon crawl classics, uh, Astonishing swordsman, first E stuff. Yep. He's good. He's Tim's an awesome dude, by the way. It's so Tim, nice guy. Tim has told me, he's like, I'm not, He's not an actual play guy. He doesn't watch actual plays. You know, some of us are are not actual play connoisseurs. We don't consume them a lot, and um, and so he was thinking though that I don't know if another friend had proposed it to him, but there was talks of him potentially running and you know running an actual play. So for folks that may not be fans of actual play, but actually running because somebody else could appreciate it. So we started talking about that, and then Chad Parrish walked up. So Chad Parrish does the Dead Game Society podcast, mm-hmm. and he used to do one that was called RPG School, I think it was. RPG School, I think so, yeah. And that was with Satine Phoenix. So if you don't know who Satine is, she works for Wizards of the Coast right as of this recording, and yep. she started at a pod, or was a co-host with Chad, and what they would do is they would get a uh, game designer on the show with their game and they would walk them through kind of a literally like a 10 to 20 minute segment of the game. So it wasn't a actual play, but it kind of was. It was like a 20 minute actual play. Now, what does a combat feel like? What does this feel like? How yeah. do you do this? Yeah. yeah. So he so he or she would 
walk them through that a little bit more as a kind of tutorial, but at the same time still running the game. So it's as if you were to sit down and go, look, I don't know this game, but I want to play it. And then the designer running it to people that have never played. So kind of an initiative initiation. I don't know. That's not really the right word, but what's well, a taste. Like it's an hors d'oeuvre. How do I, you no. know, how's this going to work? Gotcha. And so Tim brought it up. It's like, you know, that was a good format because he and I, part of the discussion was how much do you incorporate the rules into an actual play and how much do you get so far away from it? It becomes a radio drama. Right. So, yeah. Well, I, we, Christine, Zach, and I, and the crew for the Wednesday evening group, we had that discussion, you know, try to talk about the rules to a point. But the other thing that's interesting is that how I'm running that is how I run games. And I don't often break in the middle of a game and say, oh, by the way, I'm using this rule. It's not the purpose of that was to entertain and introduce a setting. And get people um, to understand it and so on. It was not to teach you uh, how five E worked. It'd be interesting. So I think that's. It, it, I think a, an actual play, if your charter is to teach people the game, that's a totally different approach than to in, solely entertain people. So I would be interested in putting up a poll, which I may do. Um, we'll see. We'll announce it on Twitter, um, Facebook. But it. I would be interested to see how many people one. If you do like actual, excuse me, actual play, or if there is an interest in actual play, or you are turned off by actual play, what your preference would be if there was an actual play. So if there was a scale of, hey, explain all the rules as you come across them and include die rolls. And then the opposite end of that scale being all radio drama, which means there's no meta talk, everybody's speaking in character. It's as if it was a you know, novel with people narrating their own parts <clears throat> mm-hmm. where everybody would want, where would, where they would fall. I have been told that our format, when we had the Savage Worlds discussion, um, DCC and, um, oh, what, what the hell was the other one we did? Oh, we've had a couple of those and even like cold shadows that you, just you and I did. Oh, and, um, the cipher system, we talked about that that people like that because of that approach for this is what the game is all about. So I don't know if, as a reminder for folks, I don't know if Parrish is old, old as that old podcasts are still out there, that game school uh, approach. But I, I know those, it, not to make you go back to our back catalog, but if you grab those like the Savage Worlds one and the Dungeon Crawl Classics and that, is that, is that helpful? Is that, was that, format i think kind of goes to what you're talking about sean a little bit just if somebody's like i don't know what that would sound like well that that's an example of what it could sound like well that and also the you run the game and then you have a supplementary either addition into the recording that's like a i even mentioned like well maybe it's the director's cut where the people like interject and pause the game to explain why a particular ruling went it's like watching the the movie with comments or not yeah yeah kind of right because yeah oh, boy in the scene i was drunk off mask yes. can't believe it didn't break my neck falling off that horse right that type of thing yeah or doing it that way i was always curious because i'm not sure if there i don't i don't think there's a wrong answer there's no way but i'm just curious like the masses i mean obviously critical role is who they are um, well guess what would be interesting is not only just what do people like but then examples thereof i like this actual play because it does it the way I like it. Right. Those examples would be great because I learned that there is a Tolkien, a J.R.R. Tolkien, Middle Earth, um, like the Prancing Pony, apparently it's a podcast that is supposed to be just exquisite when it comes to delving into the history and the mythology and everything around it. I had no idea that podcast even existed. I didn't even think to look through podcasts for Tolkien, Middle Earth stuff. And I love that shit. I'm like, yeah. fuck, why, why wasn't I looking for that? So, yeah, that's another good... Uh, this type of poll could draw that out too. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Anyway. Yeah. We <clears> shall see. Stuff. Yeah. Let us know about that actual plays though. If you, I guess if you want to like write in about anything about random encounter this week, I'd be interested to know actual plays, why you like them and what is the balance of mechanics to radio drama. Um, and the, the sound quality. There was also talks of like, you know, inside jokes and laughter and, you know, being kind of the outsider looking in and not, oh, I don't, I don't get that. But 
and then yeah. try to keep those out and stuff. So anyways. Cool. I think that's it. Yeah, let's get in the random uh, or main topic. All right. So we want to flip the script a bit and talk about players turning into game masters. <laughs> you know, when, when the moon is full at that certain time of year, when they kind of lose their shit and decide that they know what they're doing, which we know is a bad idea. But we're gonna, we're going to pretend. No, no, pretend. we we got to <laughs> encourage people to game master more. I, uh, absolutely, we can we, we can't scare them away. And I think so, Sean. What's we got to toughen them up. We got to do. We do got to toughen them up. So when I when someone asks you, hey, do players make good game masters? Do you have a gut reaction to that question? Like, fuck no, or yeah, sure, or but only if. Nah, there isn't any answer because I think some players will make exceptional game masters, and I think some players will make the shittiest of game masters. And I don't think there's a there, there's no there, it would be completely absurd of me to say that it's a blanket statement. I think it's just like people. There's it assholes. Yeah, it, it depends. depends. There's nice people and there's bad people, and there's bad people of this race and good people of that race, and it's all over the place. Yeah, my my perspective when I hear do players make good game masters, my thought is uh, <laughs> I go right to Sean. I'm like, that depends. You know, do they want to and so forth. So let's talk about this a little bit. So have you seen issues of the trans transition from player to game master? You you yourself, when you went from player to game master, or have you seen other people struggle with something? Is there a piece like, ah, yes, if someone were to stop you at a con and say, what's a, what's, what, what are three things I should not, or I shouldn't do or I should keep track of have you seen any common pitfalls over your years so i don't get a chance to play in games with a lot of first-time game masters that i know of i think i've ran into people that have been like this is my first con game i've run but maybe not the first time they've ever run um well and i can't say that for sure i might have come to the conclusion after the fact but i it, it slips my mind and it's very rare um but I think, I think the biggest hangout is probably before they hit the table, which is, I'm afraid to game master. Oh, the fear of rejection, failure. That yeah, I don't know. That, I have never. Done not, it. I don't mean to make light of yeah, oh, no. that old fear, but that is a huge. It's the fear of speaking in public. Yeah, because if you have four people, six people, three people, two people, one person looking at you, you're in charge now. What's your decision? <laughs> yeah. That's big. It's a big deal. Yeah. So I think, but I mean, I, my other, so I can't speak to you. Okay. I've played in a lot of first, uh, a first round, first event by a first time game master. And they always tend to do X or Y. And this is how they could fix that. So I don't, I would maybe sometimes maybe, maybe it's over planning. Um, rules knowledge could come into play, but I guess this would be one rules knowledge. And I don't mean that they should know the rules better or know the rules. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's about knowing the rules more, but I think it's, they get caught up with if somebody at the table bring, brings up a rule and they aren't confident enough to say either to look it up or have the person look it up and then follow the rule or just say, yep, nope, that's great. We'll just go with it because I don't want to hang things up. I think yeah, they'll there, get there's caught a fear in the of, um, quagmire. Like they're there's like, a fear Ur. that the game master should be omniscient and um, know all of it. Right. Hey, what? Well, how, how do I save versus drowning? Shit, I don't remember. Hang on, let me look that up. We say that like, oh, fuck, all right, let's look that up. Well, we've been doing it for a long time. The first time someone asks you a question you do not know the answer to, you feel very spotlight on you, sweating you, right. saying, where were you the night of? <laughs> it's what, it's, it feels very interrogation. And to get past the interrogation is to say, hang on, let me look that up. The other piece I have told, so when my daughter, Lana, she's 10 and she ran her first con game at Evercon. Uh, with, she insisted on doing it with a game system that she made with her own rules and her own approach and everything. So I sat with her and... This is a luxury not everybody has. And I said, explain to me what you're going to do. So she explained it to me. And I said, if I were you, I wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> and she said, why? I said, because I can tell you that your players are going to do this. They're going to do something crazy. You won't be able to adjust to it and so forth. 
So if you have an experienced game master available to you, it does not hurt to run it by them. Even if that game master is going to be in your group, a good experienced game master will say, yeah, run it by me. I will play and I will pretend I don't know shit. I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll play the guy with no tongue, whatever it takes. But if you want to run something by me, go ahead. People will feel the need to um, like, oh, I don't want to be too railroady. Oh, but I don't want to be too sandbox. Oh, I, want, I need to control. I don't want to. So it's kind of it's trying to find the sweet spot. And I think the fear of failure is the biggest thing to overcome is you're going to run a game and you're going to have a bad one. Your first one may not be your best one. And that's okay. It's 100% okay. We've, we've said this before on the show, but I think it's a it's definitely worth noting that that fear is like one of the biggest transitional things that stops players from becoming game masters. I could never do it because I'm not as good as you. I've heard that, which I one, was incredibly flattering. But two was, I've been doing this for 20 plus years, dude. There's no way you're going to have 20 years experience running games until you go get 20 years experience running games. You have to do it to get experience. It's the only way it happens. You got to put time in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think one of the other, one of the things they then lean into a player like that, when they say they have all these questions, they're worried, they're worried, they're worried. I'm not going to do a good job, whatever. One thing I tell people is if you're going to run a game, run it for people you like and who like you. My daughter, um, ran games for, that's where I'm going wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that list is pretty small, Sean. There's me and uh, your wife. Um, your wife doesn't game. And I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> but Ilana had run games for me, AJ, me, AJ, Connor, um, for her friends at school. So she had gained experience playing with people who would be forgiving of mistakes. And I think that's important. If the first time you're going to run something, I can't remember the, the person you, you listed, or their first con game was that... Um, Cthulhu game. That's a big con game step. But my assumption is that person has game mastered before, has experience. Um, I would not encourage a brand new player the very first time to cut their teeth, never running any game ever, trying to bone up for a game and just go out there and do it at game hole con right out of the gate. It would be very, very daunting. So if you have friends, remember, these are your friends. You're going to explain things to them and um, keep it small. You don't have to run for eight hours. You don't have to run for six. You don't even have to run for four. It could go for two hours. You can constrain yourself to, well, you guys you guys ate up all three encounters ahead. That's all I've got for tonight. Thank you for playing. Boy, we had a lot of fun. Can we do it again? You're darn right we can, but I'm out for tonight. That's totally fine. Watch. You don't have to plan the entire campaign. That's where you take a, a piece from DCC and say, hey, it's a small world. I start tiny and grow. So the other, um, I guess where I'm going from there, Sean, is there's, Players have tools and methods that make them good players, you know, the things that they like to see. Um, so transitioning from that side as a player, transitioning over, are there tools or methods that you think a player should keep with them when they flip and step behind the screens or something that they should keep in their mind saying, I learned this as a player, it works as a game master? Well, I think one of the big ones is if you're a player and you're a fan of a particular uh, world or whatever. So some players really read all the novels of Forgotten Realms or they are Wayne Humfleet and love Star Wars to death. Then taking that all that knowledge to the game master seat is definitely beneficial for sure. That, that oh, would that, be a huge one. I hadn't thought about that, but you're darn right. This is where... Um, Matt Colville has said it and other people have said it and Sean, I've said it before as well. If you like it, bring it to your game. Yeah. If you have passion about it, people will see that you like it. They'll feel it. Oh, Brett really likes Middle Earth. Wow. This is going to be a, uh, oh, this is good. Brett knows his stuff or, oh, wow. It's, it's Sean and it's Star Wars or it's Humphrey and it's Star Wars. Shit, man. I, I could take a seat and watch these guys drive. I think the, um, this is where a mistake might be made in a, in a player, possible DM first time, may make it where they say they overdo the they overdo the NPCs, they overdo their involvement because of their their love and their passion for the setting. But that's a mistake you can make that you can recover from, right? Yeah. But I think you're you that's a damn good point, man. I like that. If you like something, a setting or whatever, go for it. Go for that. Yeah, if you like Star Wars and you're like uh you play maybe you don't play Star Wars and you really wanna and you wanna run it. 
Yeah, I would say start. And maybe you play D&D, but you're not sure if you want to run it. You have a, a you like playing you like playing D&D, but you like the Star Wars world and would like to run a particular game in the Star Wars world and you're a Star Wars buff. Man, throw throw it in. Pick a pick an edition of Star Wars and roll with it. Yeah, and I think as a player one well, of the other things that you don't have to only GM the games you play. Right. You learned a game or two or three or a dozen or more, however many games you know how to play. If you learn how to play them, you can learn how to game master them. Seriously. So if you're like, look, I really like Dresden. I've been playing all sorts of games. I've never played Fate before, but I love Dresden Files. I want to run a Fate Dresden game or want a Fate Accelerated Dresden. You can totally fucking do that. You know how to learn a game system. So you could do it. You know, if you learn the game system, because I always play wizards, I always play fighters, I always play ninjas or, or whatever. It's taking that method that you have for learning a game system as it applies to you and do the same thing. You already know how to learn a game system. So if you want to do something new, you've already got those tools if you've learned a game before. Even if all you've all you've ever done, quote unquote, is play D&D, you mastered that game, which is not easy. You know how to play it. You can learn how to play Dungeon World. You could learn how to play it means you can learn how to game master it. You could totally do that. <clears throat> I think you're the the special insider knowledge and stuff. That's that's cool. I love that. I love that piece. I'm glad you brought that up. The other thing I I think about is as a player when you've had those pieces when you've when you've helped the game master or you've helped anybody else at the table say oh here it, wouldn't it be co-? when someone says how does this happen if you're that player who is when you see people uh, collaborating and so forth, if you're part of that collaboration, keep that same collaboration on the other side. Just remember, you may be the person asking, calling for the collaboration effort across the screen. Um, if you're good at collaboration as a player, that's awesome. Keep that toolkit, keep those, keep that method with you. You may need to tweak it here or there so that it works better for you or perhaps differently as a game master, but those collaboration skills as a player will go over really well as a game master. I have seen game masters who, quite quite frankly, myself, when I didn't, I hadn't played in a very, 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 very long time, 10 plus years. When I come back on the other side, as I mentioned last time we talked about this, I uh, collaborating wasn't necessarily the best thing in, in my repertoire because I wasn't attacking it. I was attacking it from a very game master story perspective. You're coming fresh from a player side into game mastering. You know what it feels like to have a good collaboration session with your players. And when you see it happening, you're not going to stop it. You know, you can help guide it and move that around. I think that's a that's a good skill that players have, uh, especially your really, really good ones, that would transition really well into game mastering. Do you have anything else in that space, Sean? Mm-mm, nope. Okay. Are there any things that we think they should throw out from a player's perspective? Well. Stupidity, could, foolishness. Yeah. <laughs> It could be easy to probably not spread the spotlight or have somebody that at the table, if you're not spreading the wealth or you're not, I don't want to say shutting down a character because that's not what you'd necessarily want to do. But I mean, yeah, I've played in games where there's one person at the table that tends to try, you know, they either get a lot of the spotlight by what they do or mm-hmm. the game master doesn't set them aside so other people can do things. So I think that's table management, however you want to phrase that. Just keep be conscious of that. Yeah, and if you've been on the if you've been a player and had good table management where you feel like it's bounced around, watch, you know, pay attention to that. How does Sean, you know, Deb, Mary, whomever bounce the uh, bounce it around? And um, take notes or um, see what you can do to, to mimic that. You, you'll come up with your own method and approach. And, yeah, you're going to make a mistake or two. And that's not the end of the world. But that's a very good – that's a good point too. Yeah. Oh, you know, the other thing that – just to go back to what's what's a good thing is a, <clears throat> as a player, you know what a plot hook looks like. Build the damn things. <laughs> you know what engages your players. You know what engages you from a plot hook perspective. Build those plot hooks. If you are engaged in the plot hook, the same way you're engaged, as Sean said, about the the settings and so forth, your plot hooks will be just as engaging. If it's, well, you could either save the mage, 
save the dwarf or go to the goblin layer. What do you want to do? Those aren't very engaging. They're just options. Now, granted, a con or a certain old school gaming people, somebody's hearing that going, that's fine by fucking me. I'll just roam with either one of those three, man. But you know how to build a plot hook. You know what a good one feels like, sounds like, tastes like, all that stuff. So build some. Um, it, write them down and and so on. I think I think that's really helpful. And the other piece that I think you can kind of throw out to ship to ship over the other side. It's kind of a keep, but yet toss in a way. And I think I can get there. Is as a player, if you keep copious notes and so on and so forth, it's really hard to keep uber detailed notes when you're the game master in the middle of play. It mm. can be very difficult. As a player, the game master is giving you some diatribe about blah, 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 Brett's full of bullshit, blah, 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 more funky names. Yes, Avalon's dark and gritty. Yes, I understand. You're taking all these notes, and that's great. As a game master, it's hard to do. You may want to practice like a shorthand, a bullet point approach, something that says, Sean, dash, character hates dwarves. Brett, dash, character likes dwarves, or, or something along those lines. Just tightening your notes if you need better or more information afterwards, you may need to take those notes after the game session and turn them into something useful for you because you may be like, Brett Dash likes dwarves. I don't understand. What does that even mean if you wait two weeks or a month between sessions or whatever you happen to have? So don't be afraid to take sketchy notes at the beginning, you know, as you're going and then, you know, add some meat, fill those notes out post the game session. Just don't wait too long. Because you wait too long in between, you could uh, you could run astray. Or if you come back and you have a note, you can also tell the group, "Hey, I took this note, Brett. It says your character likes dwarves. Why? Why did we write that down? You can ask them. You're not omniscient, and it's okay. Brett likes dwarves. It's fine. You can, but seriously, you can ask that question. Brett, do you like dwarves? Circle one, yes, no. I don't know. Do you like dwarves? Do you like me? <laughs> do you like dwarves? <laughs> Circle one, yes, no. You know what I'm saying, though, Sean. If you if you made a mistake or you come back for session two, you can ask. Yeah, there's, there's no reason not to, and that's the other piece is that if you're gay, you can ask those questions. Players ask questions all the time. What did we learn at the tower? What did we learn on the space station? What did we learn over there? I did it to Sean in the Star Wars game and and other people I've played with. Is what did we learn? Okay, that was last session. Would my character remember what we learned? You can. A- Ask the same type of questions backwards across the screen. Those are totally viable. You can. You absolutely can. Absolutely can. All right, Sean, I've talked a bunch there. Is there anything else if you were new player wants or new game master played, wants to get into it, would you tell them to, to you know, start with a certain type of game or something or any, I mean, anything? What what other foibles, theories, plots help? Just like Shea LaBeouf would say. <laughs> Just do it. That's that's what I, I would say. But <laughs> advice around that: <clears throat> get some common problems, throw them in front of the party, find out how they're going to solve them, give them ways to solve it. So create a problem, come up with two or three ways to solve a particular problem, and let them go with it. I think what you said there, common problem is can be pretty important because if you have a problem that only works for two out of your three characters, you could have that one player who's like, well, it doesn't affect me. Well, I'm not right? saying a, a problem that's class specific. I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm, I'm when you say common problems, that brings that to my mind. And it's one of those pieces where you know what a good plot hook looks like. Mm-hmm. It's one that grabs everybody. That's right. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. There's a problem. There's, you know, things eating the king's crop. You got to go find out what the problem is. There, very simple problem. Yeah, superhero game. There's been a series of bank robberies. We don't know who's been doing it. There's something painted on the wall. Somebody somebody to stop them. Somebody figure that shit out. Yeah, who's doing it and stop them? Yeah. Great. How are you going to stop them? How are you going to find out who's doing it? Then go, hey, there's a clue. Like, hey, we found this symbol and we know this and you have these contacts. So then you start... Like literally just write down problem and then underneath that clues on how to solve the problem and then let the players come up with their own method given what you provided and just roll with it. 
Mm -hmm. They'll love it. I think the biggest problem I've seen players have when they've transitioned to Game Master is they forget all the stuff they like as a player, or that they know their fellow players like, and they think that it's this massive transition of brain thought and power to you know, either be omniscient or have a huge, mega, massive arcing plot or whatever. But I think if you're going to do it for the first time, start small. It yeah. really helps. Start small, three encounters, two sessions worth, one session's worth, and see how it goes. You know, do that a number of times. Do not be afraid. You don't have to run a campaign. You could run a series of five one-shots to figure it out. What the same characters? It doesn't even have to be labeled a campaign. It could be like, you are over here to solve the king's crops being eaten. You're over here to solve the fact that the bank has been robbed. You're over here to solve the fact that, you know, the spaceship was, is on fire or whatever. You, you you can do that. You don't have to have this massive continuity theme and all this other stuff that you get after years and years of game mastering. So uh, and it, it's, it's hard to start, but I think if you want to do it, uh, one of the pieces is, you know, talk to your group, say, hey, I'd like to try it and work with the people in your group or your friends that you know will be supportive. Say, I want to try it and I don't know how this will turn out. I'm going to give it a shot. You can be self-deprecating if you want to be or you can say, look, I got a really cool idea. I'd love it if you guys let me try this, you know, and I think your passion for the thing you want to do will carry you a long way. All those player tools and so forth that you learned about what you like as a player, make sure you're dishing that back across the screen. I think if you do that, you'll have a pretty decent degree of success. Yeah, you're going to fuck something up, and that's totally fine. But if you stick with that type of thing, you're gonna, it'll be all right in the end. Yeah, you'll you be good? all right. Totally be all right. Totally all right. You good, Sean? I'm good. Are you good? I think we are. I think I talked plenty. Too much, probably. Right. Wow. Die rolled, Brett. You didn't have any this week, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. I'm a slack ass. Well, you know, what are you going to do? All right. So, uh, Goodman Games, I don't know if you saw this, Brett. They announced putting out Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. Oh, I saw that, yeah. It's going to be their next big, huge 500 freaking page. Hardcover monster. They monster. had uh, Keeping a Borderlands, Isle of Dread, now Expedition of Barrier Peaks. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, second one, Monkey Blood Designs is adding to the Midderlands and having a Kickstarter. Uh, the City of Great London. Uh, coming February 15th with a question mark, uh, 2019. Because uh, So I will have a link to his website because I, I don't know if he was set on when it would actually launch. But if you're a fan of the Midderlands, you may already know this, um, but, you know, we can get that supplement. It's Friday the 15th of March. Is, I'm looking oh, at it is. You have that March, he, he said. I reckon I'll be launching the sucker next Friday, 15th, March 2019. Yep. March 2019. He's got a link in there. You can say, you know, notify, and you can go to Kickstarter and say, notify me when launch and so forth. Well, I got my month mixed up. I'm a month behind. We're in March now. Yes. That's true. We That's are. It's like three, three or four days away. From when we record this, okay. Glen Seal Monkey Blood does good work. Uh, both Sean and I have some Midland stuff. Yep. So uh, this Midland stuff is fun. It's cool. He's got um, hell. He even gets uh, Edwin Aggie to do some work for him. Probably holds him down, twists his arm, and pours some gloomium down his throat. But anyway, it's gonna be. It'll be cool. So take a look at that. And then there was an article on Medium where a gentleman, um in the role-playing community sent uh, there's a few people in the community that sent this gentleman a few questions about how to tackle marketing your work. So he got four marketing professionals who offered their expertise to answer the inquiries. Um, and so he put those in an article on medium for you to reference. And one of them was the, uh, the gentleman who did spy handler, Svihander. Svihander. And um, he, I think, is a marketing person and never put out an RPG product ever. And Svihander won in any and probably brings in a little bit of coin for him. So I thought it was pretty interesting. So for my ranting of lack of marketing, I thought here is a medium 
article yeah, his, that has his to be. Vihander moved over 90,000 copies worldwide in less than three years. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. It's there, on Target and Walmart shelves for June of 2019. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Holy that. shit. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. We have ranted against the um, foolishness of uh, RPG marketing. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the last one I have is Greyhawk Adventure Awaits, which is there. there's an article on Tribality that has a great overview of the classic setting. So if you're not familiar with Greyhawk or it's been a long time since you've messed around in Greyhawk, which would be my case. I mean, I had the box set, but I haven't looked it over or read it or memorized it since the days of childhood. Um, it's a very good general overview and a lot of different resources for understanding the world of Greyhawk. Nice. Yeah. I like Greyhawk. That's kind of when I think, whenever I think a default D and always think Greyhawk. That's just because of my age and my experience in the hobby. I don't think any other setting. That's interesting. Cool. Good article, though, man. Thank you. So there you go. That's uh, that's all we have, I think, for this week. Yeah. What are we talking? Do you know what we're talking about next week, Brett? No, I'm not sure. I've got a couple different thoughts and theories here. We've had some people throw some good stuff out. So I'll hit you outside of here and we'll figure it out, man. All right. Well, there you go. Make sure you sign up on our email list. Tell us about your actual play preference. Send us some die rolls if you want or voicemail or whatever it is. Tell us how you got into game mastering as a player and what you might have learned from becoming a good player to a good game master. Just tell us all kinds of stuff. Works for me. There you go. You're supposed to give them like one, one, what is it? Call to action. And I'm, I'm like giving you like five. Well, we like, it's options, man. It's, it's options. plot hooks. These are plot hooks. Yeah, we're right. just throwing that's them out right. we can pull in. That's right. We're, we're, we're new at this, people. Hope, hope you like what we do. That's right. Well, so having said that, this one is finished. This adventure comes to a close. <laughs> this session. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Chad Glayman, Finn Ulf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. Gaming NBS, episode 233, coming to you... <clears throat> Damn it. <clears throat> Figures. So I think the last thing, did you happen to pick a winner for our awesome dice from last? Yeah, it was in the last episode, Brett. You sure? You were there. Yeah. No. It was Nathan, Nathan Ponkey. No, you didn't list that last time. Yeah, I did. Did you? Are you I edited, sure? I edited it in. Oh, and you now, edited and, it in. And now I'm going to have fact. to edit this out. So well, No, no, you leave this in. You leave this in. This makes it funnier. Well, no, you kidding. were, I edited in like you, you were there. Oh, that's right. That's my editing, my editing chops. Well, now you've got something to do because yeah. otherwise you'd be bored. 1840 take Brett, out Brett's ignorance douchebaggery like yes I did Brett no you did yeah uh-huh. yes we did Brett you were there so anyway so <laughs> other than other cool things